This podcast was first broadcast on 92.6 FM Radio Verulam. Go to radioverulam.com to find more Environment Matters podcasts and if you enjoy what we do, to find out how you can support the station, which is run entirely by volunteers. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Environment Matters with me, Amanda Yorworth. Environment Matters is the show that brings you news on issues of sustainability and the environment from around St Albans and from further afield. Now let's start the show with the great news story that a pair of peregrine falcons are taking advantage of a special nesting tray fitted by local ornithologist and licensed bird ringer Barry Trevis and are nesting high up on St Albans Cathedral for the first time ever ever. Now these peregrines are one of only five breeding pairs in Hertfordshire and are now sitting on their eggs. Everyone's keeping their fingers and toes tightly crossed that they'll be the tweet of baby peregrines sometime in early June. I'll keep you updated. Now this week we're looking at environment-wide changes that can make things healthier for all of us. Coming up later, the Rothamsted scientist that's using her loaf to develop healthier bread for all of us. But first, if there was something easy that you could do that would improve the health of everyone in your neighbourhood, yes, everyone, would you do it? Well, there is something. National Clean Air Day is coming up on the 16th of June this year and we are being asked to step up and help reduce air pollution in Hertfordshire. I spoke to Helen Burridge, Project's Lead Officer for the Hearts Climate Change and Sustainability Partnership, and I started by asking her whether there really is an air pollution problem in Hertfordshire. I think the challenge with air pollution is that you can't see it. And so although we have a very green and beautiful parts of Hertfordshire, there are also parts that have high levels of traffic. We have a number of major roads going around and through Hertfordshire. And so actually there are pockets of air quality issues and there is a lot that individuals can do to improve air quality, given how bad an impact it has on everybody's health. And you've talked about impacts there. Do you know what kind of impacts they are? Absolutely. Air pollution causes impacts to every organ of your body. It causes issues relating to lung disease, relating to heart disease, as well as slowing down people's brains and has impacts on children and adults alike. In fact, children tend to have a little bit more of an impact, given that they tend to be at the exhaust end of a car and the exhaust height of a car. So it is very important that we are able to improve the air quality for everybody around us. Okay, so that that sounds really quite serious if it's impacting our our whole bodies. And what, like you say, whilst some people will live in areas of slightly higher pollution, sometimes lower, but actually we all move around, don't we? So we're all going to be in those areas of particularly high pollution at some point. So do we know where most of the pollution comes from? That's another great question. Yes and no. I think there are elements of uh, specialty that I'm not, just to clarify. But uh, air pollution comes from vehicles, comes from um, poor burning of poor quality materials and other issues in the air. In terms of controlling the controllables, there is an awful lot that individuals can do, largely related to how they use their own vehicles and reducing the use of their vehicles to improve the air quality. One of the reasons that we are talking today is that Hertfordshire County Council has successfully bid for funding from DEFRA, 
which will provide air quality monitors across Hertfordshire to enable us to create a bit of a better picture of the day-to-day fluctuations of air quality across the county and to help people make informed decisions about what they do and where they travel. Okay. And do you know if one of those monitors will be anywhere around St Albans? At the moment, the exact locations of the monitors are yet to be decided. But what we're hoping to do, um, Hertfordshire County Council is hoping to do, is to create a almost down to a metre squared map of different pockets of air quality and enable people to make those decisions. As I said, the exact locations is yet to be uh, decided, but it will hopefully help to build that picture on a countywide and a local basis. Okay. So obviously there's a a link between um, burning fossil fuels, particularly in our cars, and air pollution. Leaving the car at home is, is important. How about the way that we use our car? Well, absolutely. The uh, Clean Air Day that we are working towards on the 16th of June is focusing on idling action. So idling in cars is one of those behaviours that people do without thinking. And I think a lot of behaviour change work is trying to get people out of habits, particularly when they don't realise the impact that it has. So if you are parked and stationary for more than a minute, idling your engine creates significantly more pollution than you realize it's invisible and you aren't seeing what you're pumping out into the air. The sad part being that often people's engines are left idling when they're waiting to pick up their children and there's lots of other school children around or they're waiting uh, to pick up friends outside of an event and there are lots of other people milling around. And so that challenge around idling will help both the people in the car and the people outside of the car to breathe cleaner air and also have an impact on your fuel bills as well. That's a really good point. So often we, we're not quite sure whether we're going to be stopped for a minute. What's the sort of thought process you think we should go through? Ultimately, it is best to stop your engine when your car comes to a stop. Particularly with modern engines, it doesn't use more fuel to start the engine than it does to keep it idling. People often thought with light bulbs as well, it costs more energy to turn them off rather than to keep them on. It's just not true anymore. And so actually, if you're sat at traffic lights, if you're sat at a roundabout, if you're sat waiting, a lot of more modern cars have automatic engine turnoffs. If your car doesn't do that, switch it off. If it does do that, but you choose to keep it on, thinking that that's how your car is going to stay warm, it's just not worth it. It's going to cost you too much money in the fuel bills, considering how much petrol is costing at the moment, it's just not a great idea. And you're going to be having an invisible consequence on the air around you. Right. Okay. Well, that sounds like two extremely good reasons for switching your car engine off whenever you come to a standstill. Right. So we've got Clean Air Day coming up on the 16th of June. What have you got planned for that? And how do you need our help? So Clean Air Day comes round every year. It is a a UK-based project run by Global Action Plan and encourages people to consider the impacts of air quality on individuals' health. In order to bring a focus onto the event this year, the councils across Hertfordshire will be running Clean Air Day interventions and are asking the, the local community to volunteer to become idling action champions. Now, an idling action champion is a group of individuals who will wear hives and will select an area that they know to be problematic. It might be outside of the school gates. It might be waiting outside of a football club after picking up your friends or colleagues, or it could be any location that you know to be particularly problematic. So individuals can come forward and say that they would like to hold an idling action event. 
we will provide training for those individual volunteers to do a couple of hours on clean air day to speak to people at that particular location to encourage them to turn off their engines and or give them a badge to say well done and explain why uh, what they've done with their engine off is a great thing so that people can become ambassadors for the campaign more widely. So actually just going and asking somebody to switch their car engine off is something that we can do anyway, but it sounds like perhaps if we've got a high vis on, if we're there with other people, it will just make those conversations a little bit easier, perhaps? That's exactly it. The conversation, as you say, you can have with anybody, but it can feel quite challenging approaching somebody's car. The advice is to always approach in twos. The high vis helps. And also having that anchor of clean air day to pull back on. Today, we're having an idling action day. And so we're talking to people today to encourage them to consider how they use their cars and the impact of air quality on those around you. Having that bit of dialogue to be able to to give you some pointers. The training will also provide you with some common explanations to some of the myths or the responses that you might hear. And the language that we've given there is non-confrontational and supportive to help people have positive conversations. The feedback generally shows that people are pleased to be told, aren't aware of the invisible issue that they're causing and are pleased to have the conversation. And what we say to the volunteers is if somebody does not want to take part in the conversation, then you smile politely and walk away. So we're not asking anybody to get into anything obviously challenging and of course always do it in pairs at least. Okay. Well, that sounds really good because I imagine there's, there's quite a few people who I speak to who do get a little bit annoyed by the air pollution situation caused by idling near their houses. And this would be a great opportunity to get together with your neighbours and do something about it, wouldn't it? So sounds really good. If we're interested in taking part, um, how do we get in touch? What do we do? So I work for the Hertfordshire Climate Change and Sustainability Partnership, which rather runs off the tongue. It's the HCCSP. And that is a group of all of the councils across Hertfordshire working together on climate change issues. So you can email me. I am helen.burridge at easthearts.gov.uk. If you didn't catch that, of course, you can just email into Environment Matters and Amanda will be lovely and ping on the email to me. We'll be running some training in the beginning of June. The deadline officially for uh, expressions of interest is the 20th of May. That sounds brilliant. A wonderful way to help improve the environment and the health of your local community. Helen, thank you so much for explaining that to us. Thank you. I was talking there to Helen Burridge, Project's Lead Officer for the Hearts Climate Change and Sustainability Partnership. And if you are wondering whether air pollution is a problem where you live, go to addresspollution.org and type in your postcode. I live in a very quiet road in well, quite a leafy part of St Albans and I was shocked with what I found. I'll put that link plus Helen's email address so that you can sign up to take action on Clean Air Day into the notes that go with the podcast of this show, which you'll find on the podcast page of RadioVerulam.com. And just in case you're wondering whether this kind of intervention can help, well, King's College London has shown that community events like this really can have a positive impact on air pollution levels. Let's turn now to Rothamsted Research, the world-famous research institute nestling on the edge of Harpenden. It's got scientists working on the cutting edge of crop research, helping farmers produce more, more nutritious and more sustainable food. 
Now, Rothamsted's Dr. Alison Lovegrove is looking to transform our diet with a new high-fibre wheat as part of a project that's one of only 11 receiving a total of £14 million in funding from the UKRI's Transforming UK Food Systems Strategic Priority Fund programme. It's a mammoth task involving collaboration with so many organisations, but the end is just about in sight. I spoke to Dr Lovegrove and I started by asking her about food security. The situation in Ukraine has really highlighted how much of our food is sourced from abroad. So I just wondered what the situation was with wheat. Do we grow most of the wheat that's used in our bread in this country? We're very good at this, actually. We're pretty self-sufficient in wheat in the UK. Generally, 80 to 90 percent of the grain we use for bread is grown in the UK. Okay, so specifically what you're looking at is is high fibre wheat. Now, we've all been told to eat our five a day, lots of fruit and veg. So what's the issue with fibre in our diet? Well, we certainly don't eat enough of it. And we're recommended to eat 30 or 40 grams of it a day. And and generally, people only eat around 18 grams. I think it's actually quite difficult to eat that level of fibre. But we know from lots of long term studies that actually it has impacts on things like reducing your risk of things like obesity, type 2 diabetes and other communicable diseases that they call them. So chronic diseases like heart disease, stroke, things like this. There's lots of health benefits. Um, The other thing about cereal fibre, though, is cereal fibre is super good for you. So everybody knows to eat fibre and everybody thinks about eating fruit and veg. But actually, there's lots more evidence to say that cereal fibre is really very good for you in terms of of these chronic diseases, as opposed to just eating fruit and veg, which makes you regular kind of thing. (laughs) Right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. That's good to know. I suppose if people want to eat lots of cereal fibre, there's, there is already wholemeal bread, isn't there? Or, or actually, there is a high fibre form of white bread that I've seen on the shelf. So, so why, why is your project so important if we have these available? Um, well, we're interested in making white bread have higher amounts of fibre because actually, I, I agree, there is, the, you know, there's plenty of fibre in, in wholemeal bread, but actually lots of people don't eat it. So 90% of the UK eat white bread. So it's quite hard to persuade people to change their diet. Some people just don't like the taste of the wholemeal bread. And it's also more expensive. So we would like to provide a healthier white bread so that everybody can eat it who wants to. They don't have to change their eating habits. And actually, we don't want it to cost any more. People who really need to look at their diets are often not quite as able to because they perhaps don't have enough money. So along with the John Innes Centre, you've identified a strain of wheat that's got up to twice the fibre of normal wheat. So Rothamsted is often associated with genetic modification. Has this wheat been created using genetic modification? No, no, it's it's entirely conventionally bred. No GM at all. Right, Okay. Tell us about the work that you're now doing with Reading University. So we're interested to see what consumers think about eating white bread that's got a higher fibre. I personally already know that it tastes absolutely fine. It doesn't taste any different at all to any other white bread. But you have to test that with consumers, of course, and, you, and, and get their opinion as to how they feel about this new product on the market and also how the supermarkets and processors feel about it. So it really, we need consumers to say, yes, we'd like to eat this bread because this gives a pull to the market. Because at the moment, I know it's good for you. Possibly you might know it's good for you now, but... No, but nobody else does. So we just need the supermarkets to get on board and we need processors to get on board and check that, that the new high fibre wheat works the same in a manufacturing process. And you've actually tried a loaf which has been made from this wheat? I have, yes. It's absolutely fine. It tastes absolutely exactly the same. It's 
delicious white fluffy bread. <laughs> okay, that's that sounds that sounds very clever. Now, th- one thing that I noticed was that this high fiber wheat that you've identified, you say that it's suitable for our climate, so that it can be grown right here in the UK. Does climate change and the unpredictability of our weather patterns make it hard to know what kind of conditions you need the wheat to cope with? Um, it does a little bit. And there is a climate modelling section, which is done by the, the mathematicians at Reading. And actually, we're collaborating with lots of people you know, in America and South America and, and, and Europe, because we'd like to be able to make high fibre wheat available globally. So because we now know what genes are involved in making the wheat produce higher fibre levels, they can then put that into their wheats conventionally that are adapted to their conditions. And of course, as wheat breeders continue to adapt their wheat lines so that they're able to cope with changing climate, we would hope that they take on board this with high fibre genes as well. Have you got any idea about timescale and when we might be able to purchase a loaf made from this wheat? I will. <laughs> I'd like to say in the next five years, that seems like a long time away, but actually it's been working on this project for a very long time and, that, and five years seems quite close to me. So as soon as possible. (laughs) This sounds like really quite an exciting innovation that, as you say, could improve the health of all of us. So let's hope that date is as soon as possible. Thank you so much for telling us about that, Alison. Thank you very much. Pleasure. I was talking there to Dr Alison Lovegrove of Rothamsted Research. Don't forget that the St. Thomas Sustainability Festival starts on the 15th of May and events are already getting booked up. So check out susfest.org so you don't miss out. Do drop me an email on amanda at radioverilum.com with your news, queries and ideas and follow the show on social media. I'll be back at the same time next week. And until then, thank you for listening.